we are live for the 118th episode of the Bronx Bomber Babble podcast, sponsored by Six Pack Coverage. Tonight on the podcast, I'm joined by G, Alex, of course, I'm Andrew. Gentlemen, what's going on, guys? How we doing, everyone? Hello. Hey, so we have been away for a few weeks. Our last podcast was on May the 17th, thereabouts. Uh, yeah. The Yankees have played five or six series in the time since we were in the middle of stretch playing the White Sox and the Orioles and the White Sox and the Orioles. Uh, the Yankees then also played Tampa Bay for the first time this year, split a four game series down in Tampa before coming home and just completed a six game homestand sweep against the Angels and Tigers yesterday via Josh Donaldson walk off sack fly Yankees still as of today, with the best record in Major League Baseball, I believe they opened the day at seven and a half games in first place. Have not checked the the scoreboard tonight to see if that's changed. But guys, how are we doing? This team, like, they, look, we could just get it all out. Like we we could not have been more wrong about them at the start of the year. But every single week that passes by, they continue to prove that this isn't a fluke. That this is really who they are. Yeah, the one thing about this team that really is different from last year is the fact that. They find ways to win in any way possible this year, as opposed to last year where it was kind of the opposite, where they would find the worst ways to lose. Like think about last year and you can name you need, you know, more than just your two hands to name the amount of gut wrenching losses the Yankees had where this year there's so many times where we've really we've gone kind of. Yeah, they did not deserve to win that game or how did they win that game or something like that. Like even yesterday. Okay. You know, they were up most of the game. They were, or they had tied it. Then DJ walked forced in a run, you know, tied again. Tigers then went up four to three and, you know, they really shouldn't have won because then it was, you know, a short little ground ball. Tigers misplayed it. Glaber scored, tied the game and then an extra inning walk off. But like, if that was last year, that's the type of game they lose in that way. So I think this team just they're much more professional out there. You know, the defense is better. They're taking much better at bats this year. They're managing to score runs without home runs. I mean, home runs are still a huge part of their offense. But there's a lot of, you know, plays that they're scoring runs on. And especially there's much better base running this year. We still have some random you know, mistakes out there, but overall it just looks like a much more complete team last year than, or this year than they did last year. Yeah. I'm not going to beat the dead horse, but it's definitely true. And we've mentioned it previously, how like they changed up the profile of the team and rather than have it just to be a bunch of big, strong, you know, home run hitting right handed batters, like, um, you know, different types of athleticism, skill sets and whatnot on the roster. That's proving to be um, exactly what the Yankees needed. And that's pretty great. And, um, yeah, I mean, well, as of this very moment uh, during recording, it is still seven and a half games, um, which is cool. And the Yankees have played some series against, you know, they played multiple series against all these teams, really. They have another series coming up against the Rays. Um, what is it, next week, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But, like, they have beaten a lot of teams and – you know, at convenient times are good. You know, they've had some series wins where they've opened up 
at this point a seven and a half game lead against the I think it's the Blue Jays now. And um yeah, I mean so they've done a lot of good early work this season, got themselves a cushion in the division, which is gonna be coming handy. Yeah, we've seen in the past few seasons that getting off to a good start, you know, in the first month, two months of the season is a lot more important than you think. And one example to me that I always think of with people who who say like, oh yeah, it's just the it's just the first months of the year. Not these games don't matter. It's like every game in the baseball season, even if it's 162 games, matters. Because if you think of the 2016 season, which the Yankees ended up selling at the trade deadline, you know, they had the Sanchez debut, he traded away Batan or uh, Andrew Miller and Chapman. Everyone knows that, but they, I want to say they started off that first month, they went like nine and twenty or something, and then they played like. 10, 15 games over 500 the rest of the season, which would have made them, if they played that in uh, in uh, April, they would have made the playoffs. Yeah, and if you want to look terrible, if you want to look even more recent, the Yankees went to Detroit and got swept in a three game series against a brutally bad Detroit Tigers team last year. Yeah, and, and that was still pretty early in the year, right? Like May, June, if I recall correctly. And what happened? We tied with the Red Sox for the wild card. They mm-hmm. got to host the wild card game at Fenway Park, and who knows how that game ends up uh, differently. I don't think we'd get beyond the ALDS even if we were to win that game, but like we certainly were not in a position to win that game in Fenway Park with that crowd. And, and so, like, yeah, of course, every single game matters, and, and, and I love that you pointed that out because that's one of the the most annoying things that, that we've seen in the Boone era is – like the the punt games, right? The way mm-hmm. he kind of just manages the bullpen's usage, so he can't use his best arms because he doesn't want to use a guy a third day in a row, or the the give up lineups on travel days, or whatever it may be, right? And I feel like he's gotten away from that this year. Now certainly the roster is more complete. There's more depth on the bench, so when he doesn't start the A lineup, there's still a lot of options, right? Like the two catchers, uh, you can make an argument that I don't really think there is an argument to be made. Trevino's been a much better hitter than Higgy this year, even if he's like. The 1A and or the 1B and, and Higgy's 1A, right? Uh, in that, and then you have a guy like Marvin Gonzalez who's been uh, serviceable off the bench. The fact that you have five infielders and only four of them can play on a given day. So if Glaber gets off one day, then he's in the quote unquote give up lineup, right? Like he's still a really good hitter. So the, yeah. the team definitely has more depth to them this year. And if you're right, they do have a different feel. The, the games that they they would have given away last year, or or the games that they were out of it and you just had no confidence they would come back. They've had the ability to win those games this year. And yeah, if you go down the list, there's probably a dozen of them and maybe they win four of those games last year. And this year they've won maybe nine or 10 of them. And like, that is the difference between them being in first and second place potentially. Well, and the thing about games like that to me is that no matter what you feel like they still have like some chance to come back last year, You'd see them go down two nothing in the second inning, and Andrew, you are, you know, a criminal for Sorry, immediately do it, do it. Yeah, for me. overreacting and saying that uh, games are over in the first and second inning. But you know, last year in particular, there was some truth to that because they'd go down two three nothing, the off and the offense would just kind of look like they gave up. You I know, mean, I think we were all also, all also on record just as pretty 
strongly agreeing that that was one of the most unfun Yankee teams that we've ever watched. Like I had more fun watching the 2013, 2014 teams than I did with the one last year. Yeah, I agree. And look, Alex, you mentioned that they're, you know, they, obviously they were super home runner bust last year, and, and they're by no means not that this year, right? Um, the Yankees still lead Major League Baseball by a hefty margin in terms of total home runs, but they're like 14th or 15th, I believe, in in total batting average. Now they're up in the top 10 in on base percentage and slugging. But yeah, they they've still had the the inability to to get the the big hit at certain times. Now there are some criminal well, offenders to that, and we'll get into that later in the show. But yeah, there are some similarities to the team last year, but they are much better on the edges, on the margins, and, and that's what's turned a lot of those losses into wins this year. Yeah. Especially like, because um go ahead, G. Sorry, sorry. I feel like you set yourself up for that, you know, I mean they're going the, the Yankees, right? The Bronx Bombers and all that type of stuff. Like they like home run hitters and but I feel like you set yourself up for that when it's not like plain as day obvious that's how you need to score your runs or else you're gonna lose. Like mm-hmm. you know, Luke Boyd's not a three hundred hitter, he's a home run hitter who's gonna hit like two sixty. John Carlston is a home run hitter, but he's you know, hits for decently high average, but like Gary Sanchez for two or three years in a row is hitting like 210. And if he's not hitting home runs and he's contributing not very much to the offense, like, so to get rid of a few of those guys, you know, Voight and Sanchez and whomever else, like, um, you know, they bring in the different guys, the contact guys, the athletic guys, the guys who can run the bases, right. And stuff you got, like, you have more stuff to worry about than just being like, Oh, well it's Luke Voigt. If he doesn't hit a home run, he's not going to hurt me that much. Like, so it, it's just, you know, it's, I don't know, puts some pressure on your um, opponent in a different way. And, you know, I think increases the chance that, like, hey, you just run into one. Like, you're going to make a mistake and and they're still going to hit the home runs. Yeah, but there's no shortage of, if you look up and down the, the roster this year compared to last year, uh, of, of reasons why they're better, right? Gone are the, obviously you mentioned Gary Sanchez, but guys like Tyler Wade and Clint Frazier aren't around here anymore. And we have a guy like Marwin Gonzalez, who he may not offer a ton with the bat, but he could play six positions, which is super versatile. Glaber Torres has had a huge bounce back season after a brutal 2020 and 2021. DJ May, who we knew played hurt all of last year, and hasn't quite hit his 2019-2020 pace yet, but he's certainly a better player this year. Uh, we, we've gotten to this point, a full season uh, of Anthony Rizzo. We, we've talked about how he kind of fell off after he, he tested positive for COVID last year. Uh, he came over, had a hot start, wasn't really the same late in the year. And, and Aaron George is playing at an MVP pace, which he certainly was in that conversation last year. I think he's a clear front runner this year. So there's a lot of different reasons why the the offense is playing at, at, a, at a much better clip than they were last year. We haven't even talked about the best rotation in Major League Baseball. Yeah, no, the rotation, I think, is the yeah, – I, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say the rotation is the main reason that they're in the spot they're in right now because you look at last year, their pitching was good. Um, it's not a – you know, it's not an exaggeration to say their pitching was very good last year. They had, you know, they had a breakout with Nestor. Um, Tyone was very good in his first season as the with the Yankees. Cole came out, had a, you know, very, very solid first full season – um, Montgomery was Montgomery. You know, it was a, they had a very solid rotation, but this year it's like the, the entire rotation has just been 
ascended to another level where Cole started out rough. He's been lights out since then. Severino's looked like the Severino of 27 and 2018. Tyone's having so far the best season of his career. Montgomery's been about as solid as you need him to be, but he's looked more like his uh, rookie self in 2017 than he has the last few years. And, you know, Nestor's just shown that last year was not a fluke and that he's come out and shown he right now is one of the best pitchers in the game. So I think that combination of the five of them is such a strong weapon for the Yankees where even if one of their starters regresses, like say Nestor all of a sudden has a string of five or six starts where he's just kind of like league average. He goes five, six innings, gives up three to four runs. You know, people start trying to, you know, figure him out and stuff. They still have four very above average starters. And it's not very often that you see a team with a rotation that's this dominant and this deep this, you know, this late into the season. And um, we've, we've, I mean, we've given the man flowers before. Like it's no secret that we're huge fans, but Matt Blake, man, is just, that guy's just something else. Yeah. Like, you got to give a lot of credit to Matt um, here. Yeah. I mean, beyond, beyond even the, the, the starters you look at Clay Holmes looks like, arguably the best reliever in baseball. I know a lot of people in Milwaukee will tell you that it's probably Josh Hader, um, which I'm not going to argue with that on. Um, you look at a guy like like Clark Schmidt, who had a lot of upside. He has one of the nastiest sliders. Uh, granted, he doesn't get a ton of usage, but like when, when he, he uses that pitch, he looks awesome. Mike King has had a very up-and-down season, but when he, hit, he had that run earlier in the year, and it looks like he's starting to round back in form now. This is the guy who we got as, as a throw-in right from, from – the Marlins, I believe he was in what the 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 Garrett Cooper trade, if I recall. I think Garrett, so. Yeah. Correct me on that. Um, yeah, and and now like he he's a huge weapon in the bullpen. Uh, so like it's not even just like the the main guys, right? Like he's making strides up and down the staff. And um, well, yes, for starters, Michael King was in that trade. So good job. Yeah, um, it was King for. Garrett Cooper and Caleb Smith. And I mean, so for, you know, I guess to indulge a little bit on Matt Blake, like they hired Matt Blake when he was, you know, whatever it was three or like three something years ago at this point, he's a 34, 35 year old guy. And now he's still pretty young. He could be a player basically at this age. And he's the pitching coach for the best rotation in baseball. And like the improvement was like very immediate too. And, you know, obviously we weren't all happy at all. We were very happy to see Larry Rothschild go and had heard from people like Sonny Gray be like, oh, they, you know, the philosophies aren't that good. They make you throw pitches that you don't want to throw or they just believe in this or that. Like the improvement was like immediate. And it's not just like, oh, they got Garrett Cole. Garrett Cole is good, right? Nestor Cortez was on the Yankees a couple of years ago and got VFA. And now he is a starter and leads the league in – ERA like it's just preposterous because you have like a one-to-one comparison be like this guy was here previously and now he's back and he's much better yeah I think it's it's very weird if you look back at the last few years just because there was a lot of cases of like Sonny Gray just saying yeah they wanted me to throw this they wanted me to get rid of one of these pitches and then there was a story I don't know if I think it was last beginning of last year where the Yankees were saying 
where a thing came out where the Yankees were trying to get Davey Garcia to throw a slider and just wasn't working at all. And because, and he's been, you know, he hasn't been even close to the same pitcher he was when he debuted in 2020 since then. So I don't know. It just feels like the last year, year and a half, the Yankees have kind of gone away from their whole mindset of we want, this is what we want you to throw as opposed to just go out there, do what you do and make these little adjustments. Like with Holmes, when he was with the Pirates, he wasn't as effective because he wasn't very accurate. Where now, and I do want to note he was coming off his his own Tommy John surgery as well. Yeah, he had fully ramped up, so that that was part of it. But he, like they got him because he was what a ground ball pitcher, and that's all mm-hmm. they saw in him. And like it's a completely different guy now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so you look up and down. Like we we can finish the. The, the Matt Blake fangirl section here. You look at some of the, the categories where the Yankees are atop the league or very near the top. Uh, and I'm just going to go basic uh, pitching stats. Right? We can get to the analytics in another podcast if we really want to, but I'm just talking like surface level stuff right now. They have the lowest staff ERA in Major League Baseball. They have the second most shutouts. They have the lowest whip and they have the lowest batting average against like it's just complete dominance across yeah. the board. Like you show up uh, on a nightly basis in the opposing batter's box, knowing you're gonna have to go through the gauntlet of the Yankees pitchers, and you know it's gonna be a rough night. And like we haven't, I know we've talked about for a long time, right? The Yankees like pitching wins in in, in the postseason, and then we kind of got pitching, and we had no spine offensively. And now mm-hmm. I think they kind of have the balance where they they can manufacture runs. They can certainly provide the power, but the pitching, like if all else fails, will just shut the hell down any opponent. Yeah, and I think the way they've changed the offense this year is a huge um, proponent to balancing that out because they kind of went, G mentioned before, they went from being home run or strikeout to essentially making more contact. Like you look at guys like Donaldson and IKF, and Rizzo, their strikeout rates are a lot lower than guys like Sanchez. And, you know, obviously there's, you know, going to be the Joey Gallo of the team that makes, that kind of, you know, averages things out. But overall, I feel like it just, you see a lot better at bats. You don't see the, you know, strike, strike, swing them as strike three that you'd see a lot of time with Sanchez just going up there and hoping to hit one out. So I think the combination of, the offense just seeming more capable and the pitching just becoming one of the most dominant pitching rotations we've seen in the last, God, I don't know, couple decades has really been a, you know, a breath of fresh air for us because every year it seems like the Yankees have either been really good offensively or their pitching has been kind of their savior, you know? And it's nice to have a balance between the two so we can get excited about either but one. But even so, when you say that their pitching has been their savior, it's been the bullpen. They've had yeah Garrett Cole, right, since 2020. And in sporadic times, they've had, obviously, Roger Clemens, Andy Pettit. You had the few years of Luis Severino being an ace. 
you had Tanaka at the top of his game. You had Chin Ming Wong for, for a year or two, right? Like you had one or two Andrew, guys. Gotta, top, and obviously CeCe Sabathian before you say anything about that. Okay. But, okay just making sure. <laughs> obviously CC was the long, I, I was, I was hitting the, the guys who were, who were there for two or three years. Okay, right. Okay. Like, like CC was like the longest tenured guy, but you look at the, the rotations around him. Um, they, they were lacking. Like obviously Pettit came out of retirement. Um, and then had that 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 second burst. Uh, he was there at the very beginning of the Tanaka age, but that was kind of like where CC was battling um, his his alcohol addiction. He was like not a factor, right? So they never really had like two three monsters at the top of the rotation for for any extended period of time. And now we got five starters who we we trust. Uh, and I base like you look at the the Braves teams in the '90s when they had Glavin, Maddox, and Smoltz, and and this is just not even in the same conversation as that. And those guys were awesome. So like, it's, it's, those guys were hall of famers. It, it, it's unreal. And I obviously, I, I'm not going to put the Yankees current five starters in the hall of fame. Yeah, exactly. But you, look but, at but the way they're pitching no, this year is comparable to the way those three guys were, were anchoring a staff for a short window. I think there is still some upside in this Yankees rotation. Like Garrett Cole, I mean, He's incredible. Maybe he'll get marginally better or whatever. His ERA will go down. Like it's not that big of a concern with him. But like Severino, right? Still kind of working his way back from the surgeries and all the injuries. What's his name? Tyone. You know, had had his own injury stuff last year. He was coming off the long layoff, and he's you know been looking good. Montgomery, even with all the jokes about run support and all that stuff, like is was really solid last year and is still you know really solid this year. And, and, you know, I think he's pitching better than he did last year too. So like, there's definitely upside, I think in this rotation, Nestor, who the hell knows, right? That's just, that's a fun story. You know, I don't think he's going to pitch to a one and a half ERA all season, but we just ride it as long as we can at this point. Um, and I think, I don't know, maybe one last high level point, we could start talking about results, but like, especially in this division, right? Who's the primary rival generally, the last couple of years has been the Rays and we're like the Rays have this like smoke and mirrors thing going on with, you know, guys just like G man Choi, just randomly torturing Garrett Cole and hitting home runs. And all the while their pitching is always just awesome. So like the Yankees changing the profile of their team. Whereas in the years past, it was just, you know, the Rays have all these pitchers, right? The bullpen guys, the Ryan Yarbrough's and the Andrew Kittridge and all these random guys who are just great. Like, and the Yankees have all these big, beefy home run hitting guys, and the Yankees change up the profile of their team where they're not quite that. And in at the same time, dramatically improving their pitching to compete with that, I think is incredibly important. And here we are sitting here with like an eight game lead on the Rays. So that's pretty nice. One thing I will say, because you mentioned the Rays, is that we, we talked about it in the offseason, or, or at least I did. Um, I, I, I don't want to speak for you guys as well, but it felt like. In 2020 and 2021, the Yankees saw the blueprint that the Rays did and tried to be like them, but then uh, also like a, a big market, high spending version of that, rather than just find their own identity. And I think the development of of Matt Blake, giving him a few years to really get his hooks into all of our arms and, and really shape who they are as pitchers, right, is developing our own identity uh, offensively the Yankees you know they built their team around right-handed power which we have a little more balance now and I think they, there was just a hey we want to 
we see how the Rays win. It's unconventional. It doesn't make sense. It's super data driven, even if it may may be counterintuitive, right? Let's do that. And instead of being another version of the Rays, I think in 2022, the Yankees are finally being their own new version of themselves. Yeah, you looked at, you know, last couple of years, it, it really looked like they were just trying to brand themselves as we're the Rays, but with money and better. And instead, they branded themselves as we're the Rays, but somehow worse, even though we have money. You know, they would be doing weird things that, you know, they started 20, you know, 2019, 2020, they do openers and stuff. And the Rays started doing the openers just because they didn't really have any starters. And they just had to piece together bullpen games. And the Yankees saw that and went, huh, what if we start Chad Green for, you know, 20 times a year? And it just it, they, it just seems like everything they were doing, they were copying the blueprint of the Rays' success where they didn't need to do that. You know, the Rays were doing that because that was how they were going to win. The Yankees are going to win, you know, because they're the Yankees. They can actually afford to get talent out there, which is why they're paying guys like Rizzo and Donaldson for this season, where the Rays would not have been able to afford signing Rizzo and trading for Donaldson. So, like you said, Andrew, I think it's really good that the Yankees are starting to actually create their own identity as a team that, like, you know, works good at bats. They're always going to be, you know, um, scary offensively no matter the situation. And the pitching is just lights out. I think the Yankees had to find their own. It took them a few years to find their own thing with that, right? Where it's like the Rays do the openers and they have all that, you know, all that sort of stuff going on. Ryan Rucco had pointed it out one day. He goes like, you know, obviously you, when you talk about the Rays, you talk about payroll and how they like, you know, they'll trade people they get rid of guys. They don't want to sign guys or whatever, but like look at their front office page on their website. And it's like a hundred people long with like yeah. scouts and analytics and all sorts of stuff going on. Like Yankees obviously have maybe less of a concern financially. Obviously they spend a lot of more money on payroll, but like, um, it took them a while, and over the course of a couple of years, we saw them, you know, they've just recently changed over hitting coaches. It seems to be working out decently well. Um, they changed over a long time. You know, they totally revamped the strength and conditioning, and, you know, that seems to be working well over the last couple of years for guys like Judge and Stan and the pitching. You know, obviously, we talked about Blake. He was a 34-year-old. They hired him, and they also hired um, the driveline guy, Sam Bren, to be the director of pitching, so, like, it took them a while. I think they're figuring out their own formula, but I don't think openers and all that sort of wacky, you know, raise small market stuff that they were doing was quite it. And I think they finally figured it out. Yeah. And like you think about it, I think openers are a thing of the past now. Um, I don't really, we don't really see teams doing that anymore, but you know, the Rays have been doing weird stuff ever since Joe Madden was manager when they started shifting and then, you know, they, he created Ben Zobrist as, you know, the super utility guy where, the Rays were doing stuff like that because they needed to have some type of weird edge in order to win. And so the Rays ruined baseball is what you're saying. I'm not saying the Rays ruined baseball. I'm just saying they kind of adopted their own weird, wacky way of doing things. And, you know, for a few two out of three seasons, it worked, really. You know, they good pitching and they just do weird things. Yeah, and, and look, credit to them that, that it worked. But I was just losing my hair 
for for years just waiting for for the reckoning right um like I told myself, well, if they're going to do these stupid overshifts, eventually the league's going to figure out how to just hit to the, the gaping hole on the left side of the infield, right? And it never happened. And, and so that's kind of, I think, a source of frustration where, like, it, yeah, the race tried to be smarter than everyone else. And for an extended period of time, they they were, and, and to an extent, they still are smarter than most teams, if not all teams, right? And, and it just seems like they're good at, at pivoting their own strategy, like when the league catches up to them, like wisens up to what they're doing. They already have something else ready to, to unload. And I guess seeing them where they are in the standings right now, like they're certainly at this point a lock to make the playoffs. There's still a lot of season left, so that could certainly change. But they're still not at the peak that they were last year, but they're still finding success, albeit not the, the same level. But it is refreshing when that style of play doesn't always pan out, right? Like they're doing weird shit and you're like, well, this shouldn't work. And the days where it doesn't, you're like, oh, thank God. Yeah. Well, one thing that I think really was just kind of a breath of fresh air for us was in the first two games against the Rays when they, Yankees and Rays played in Tampa and the Rays just looked terrible. You know, they were playing terrible defense. They were not hitting well. They just, they didn't look like a good team. And, it was it was nice to see because the Rays and the Yankees have had a very weird rivalry the past few years because the Rays have just gone out there and kind of crapped all over the Yankees. You know, they beat them in the playoffs in 2020. They kind of destroyed them last year. And it was it's just kind of embarrassing because you look at a team that is small market like that that they're just like the weird stepchild of the AL East that's successful a lot. And the Yankees are, you know, the exact opposite of them. And the Rays were having their way with the Yankees. So to kind of see the Rays kind of falling down a peg, the Yankees are on top now with their own set of, you know, procedures and own way of doing things. It's re- it's very kind of a relieving to see that. Just because if they were being this successful, operating the exact way the Rays would, you'd imagine that the Rays would have a, you know, cheat code to essentially beat the Yankees, even if they were operating as the Rays, but with money. Yeah, for for sure. And um, the one thing that, that I will say that they have been able to do, though, is they, they do the weird things with the pitching staff. They're really into the analytics. They know certain pitches, certain... Uh, RPMs, whatever maybe arm slots, deliveries, whatever weird edge they can get, they've they've known how to pitch to us, right? So even when their offense doesn't look great, even when they they don't play stellar defense, which they do on most nights, but obviously you mentioned they they had some slip ups against us. The one thing they'll always be able to do is is pitch to the Yankees, and that that's the thing that unfortunately is going to keep them in a bunch of games. Um, so until we can crack that code, um, it may still be tough sledding. Yeah, but I think it's not going to be nearly as difficult just because, you know, last couple of years, pitching to the Yankees was throw them sliders low and away, throw them fastballs up. You got you got easy strikeouts there. Where now you have guys who are going to work the counts. Like, one thing I've really noticed is that IKF is, you know, he's not going to be a Hall of Fame type of hitter, but he does work counts very well. 
and he doesn't work walks, which is odd to me. But he no, he goes up there and he's not swinging out of his shoes to hit a home run. He's just swinging to make contact, which you know does lead to some weak ground balls, but. He works counts, and that's another just big difference with this team as opposed to last year, where there was not a lot of guys that would go up there and make the pitcher throw seven, eight pitches every at bat they were in. You know, I can't even count the amount of times guys like Sanchez would go up there, strike out in three or four pitches. Um, even a guy like Gio would go up there and he'd be swinging first pitch, and you know, no shade to Gio at all, but there were sometimes he just he also just looked lost because he'd just be rolling over everything and just hitting ground balls all over the infield. So well, that's an interesting segue, Alex, because uh upcoming Yankees series are playing for the Yankees. <laughs> yes. The Yankees will make the trip to Target Field this week to play the Minnesota Twins. First matchup against Gary Sanchez. Uh, I don't bearded know version. If, is Sonny Gray scheduled to start? Is he hurt? I don't know if we... He's on the IL, I believe. Okay, yeah, so we won't face Sonny Gray and, of, of course, uh, Gio Rochelle as well, so we'll get our first look at them. Uh, Josh Donaldson, I don't really know how much he cares about uh, the Minnesota Twins. He spent some time there at IKF. He spent time two years there, didn't there even, so... Yeah. Well, yeah. IKF spent, what, three a, days? A day. One day. <laughs> he was traded in back-to-back days or something like that. Um, so that doesn't really mean much. But, uh, yeah, it'll be an interesting series coming up. Uh, let me get the pitching lines, unless one of you guys already have that handy. I got it. Pitching mm. matchups are, wait for it, tentatively, Jameson Tyone versus TBD. Best pitcher in the league right there. Nestor Cortez versus old buddy Chris Archer. Oh, that's fun. <laughs> and then on Thursday, it would be Garrett Cole versus Dylan Bundy, another old friend. What's so, the deal with, with, with Joe Ryan? Is he still hurt? Because he looked awesome earlier this year. Yeah, I think Gray and Ryan are both in the I.L. He is. On and so is Chris Paddock for them too. Like and Chris Paddock had Tommy John, didn't he? I thought he had it like a year and a half ago when he was with San Diego. I thought he. I thought he's he's out for like. Oh, well, maybe he did. You're right. I think I think you're right. Maybe he did just have it. Yeah. He, yeah. Him. He got hurt in May, so. Yeah, I think he's oh, out for the geez. rest of the year now. He is. He is Gonzo. Yeah. So the Rays. Well, I don't know. Actually, I mean, I could dig into it a little bit. I don't know. I mean, I think the Twins. I think the Yankees should sweep that series. That's my against the Twins. Yeah, the Twins are are a really good team though. Like, the Twins are very, the, the Twins are so good offensively too. Yeah, and if, especially since they're in Minnesota, I think if they go in there and they can take two out of three, I will be perfectly fine with that. You'd be thrilled with that kind of. Yeah, Andrew, you, and Andrew, you said before we started recording that if the Yankees go and take four out of six from the Twins and the Cubs, you'll be happy. And yeah. Like, like they, Honestly, they just won yeah, six games fine. in a row. They've played at like a 75% winning percentage the last month or so. Like, you know, that's unsustainable. But if you take two out of three, you just clip off series wins for the next month or so. It's going to be very hard for other teams to close the gap unless they get white hot, which like, if, if a team like the Rays win like 16 out of 20 and close the gap on us, then like you can't do anything about that, right? As long as you don't lose 
12 out of 20 games in that yeah. same stretch. Honestly, at this point, the Yankees could just play 500 until the All-Star break, and they still would be in very good shape. You know, Obviously, yep. we don't want them to do that. But this goes back to what I was saying before about building up a good lead and playing well in the first few months of the season. Because if you come out like the Yankees and you're playing 20-plus games over 500 at the beginning of June, you a lot of the pressure gets alleviated from you because you can just kind of go out there. And if you lose a random game to the – a random, you know, Saturday night game to the Cubs, if they lose on Saturday night, I'm, I predicted it, just saying um, – it does, it's not going to mean as much as if, you know, the Yankees were 28 and 27 right now, you know, with ba- virtually the same record as the Red Sox, and mm. they can't afford to lose a game, you know? And that's how it seemed for most of last year, where they'd lose a game in a bad way, and it would just have such a domino effect on everything. And I think that's part of, what, like, like, the culture that you said that, we as a fan base have it also I'm sure existed in the in the clubhouse too. You get down two nothing in the first inning and you think, Oh, here we go again and that's why I would say something like, Oh, this game's over. Like obviously the game isn't remotely close to being over. You get twenty seven outs, right, for a reason. But when when you don't have confidence in the team and every night feels like a slug, right? You're you're struggling to stay afloat. It's really frustrating every time you go down, every time you drop a tough game. And and, and they they've knock on wood, avoided stretches like that for extended periods of time this year. Now, granted, they, they had that doubleheader sweep against um, the, the White Sox a couple weeks ago where they, they scored one run in 18 innings. That was brutal, but it was just one day, right? And you, you dealt with it, yeah. you played the Orioles after that, and you recovered. They took the first two games in the four-game set against Tampa, and you're thinking like, holy crap, we got these guys' numbers. They came back, took the last two games, and, and we got a split, and that was frustrating too. So like, there are still moments, but yeah, it, it it's frustrating, especially like the series against the Rays, but it's not world ending. Like, you know, in retrospect, I look at that Rays series. I'm like, OK, you know, what? a split against the Rays in the trop, which has always been a nightmare for the Yankees. Right. We're mad last decade they or so. the, like they split the series and we're mad about it, which yeah, over the exactly. last couple like, years is like completely foreign. That's how well this team has been playing. Like they won the first two games of the series and we expected them to win at least one more. But in reality, they split a series in the in Tampa against the Rays, where you know the last few years they've been, it's been a total house of horrors. Let's just call it's it been a house of horrors. Yeah, they're, how many times have they gone into the trop, you know, do, playing pretty well and they get swept? It happened. It's happened like once a year, and for them to go in there and and you know split the series, I think that was a huge you know, morale builder, because even if they lost the last few games, at least they know, all right, we're right there with the Rays now, as opposed to the Rays just bullying them the last couple of years. Yeah, so look, I actually want to change the pace a little bit as we get a little closer to to wrapping up tonight's show, Um, just because we haven't really gotten to talk about like a, like a who's not, who's not type thing. Like, obviously, it's it's the names that we don't have to say anything. Everyone listening uh, and everyone across the fan base knows who they are. But I want to do something fun if you guys are down for a little. Um, I'm never okay. down for fun. You're down for a little co-host yeah, participation. All right. So I need you guys to go to um, our Slack channel right now. Okay. I need you to type me one name of one player who has frustrated you the most over the last Seven days, not the full season, not the last month or so, the last seven seven days, days. write one name 
type it out. Let me know when you guys have it ready. I'll type one too, and we're all going to hit send at the same time, and then I'll read them out aloud. All right. Sounds good. All right. We're going to hit hit send on the count of three. You ready? One, two, three. <laughs> Interestingly wow. enough, we have three separate names on this list. Oh, um, I like Alex's better. And I actually, re- yeah, I'm surprised that wasn't the name you picked. But yeah, so we have three names of players who have frustrated us the most. Um, I said Aaron Hicks, Alex said Kyle Higashioka, Matt said Joey Gallo. Guys, I will let you, I'll give you the floor to explain your picks first, uh, and then maybe we'll do the same mm-hmm. um, with uh, something positive. I don't know, yeah. Fun. All right, go ahead. G, you, uh, you go first, because arguably yours, your pick of Gallo is kind of the biggest no-brainer. <laughs> Right. All right. So, yeah, I think in, in the context of like just like numbers, yeah, it's not the most like earth shattering pick because Joey Gallus stinks. Um, and, you know, he's a very good and competent left fielder, and that's wonderful. And that's 100 percent not the reason why they acquired him. They acquired him because he was in the middle of, you know, in the middle of a 30 plus or whatever, 40 home run season. And he has been absolute complete and utter dog crap since they got him. He's batting 175 this year and all that numbers, you know, he's, he's not good offensively. He's not contributing anything. And he had a home run for the weekend, you know, fully for him. Um, but I'm particularly frustrated in the context of what it is now potentially costing the Yankees. And I guess that's maybe me, you know, Bringing up another bit of news, which was Miguel Andujar requested a trade from the Yankees, and we get got that confirmation over the weekend. Um, and you know, we know Miguel Andujar came up as a third baseman. You know, defensively was a little shaky, and um, they kind of made him into this like utility player. But he's played a lot of outfield in minors, and he's played some outfield in the majors. Um, but I just feel like even if you maybe have concerns about his defense, right? You know, he's worked hard and he's gotten better at defense. And now, you know, he was up with the majors in his 41 at bats this series, batting 268. Um, you know, doesn't walk much or anything like that. But I just feel like he contributes so much more to the, you know, you know, bat on ball and you know contact. He can you know rip some doubles down in the corner, stuff like that. Like, and Joey Gallo's presence on the team potentially cost the Yankees a useful player who's, in my opinion, pretty obviously more useful and better than he is, is very annoying. For the record, I do want to know Joey Gallo has two doubles all season. <laughs> That's good, right? No. <laughs> all right, Alex, go ahead. So, yeah, that, that was G on on why Joey Gallo has frustrated him the most over the last week. Alex, you're up next. Yeah, so Higgy, I, I went back and forth between um, Gallo and Higgy a lot, but – I ultimately decided on Higgy because he was supposed to be so much better than he is. Like the Yankees were so high on him the last couple of years that they've started him in playoff games over Sanchez. And once they traded away Sanchez, he was supposed to be, you know, the guy that took over. He'll, you know, hit for not a high average, but he'll pop home runs all the time. And, you know, coming into this year, people thought he was he was going to be a very solid catcher. Like, you know, nobody expects catchers to be, you know, 310 hitters. You know, no one expects catchers to be, the, you know, Mike Trout's out there. 
But if you get a catcher that'll hit, you know, 15, 20 home runs a year, play good defense, that's a very valuable asset to the team. And I think that's what everyone thought Higashioka was going to be, especially after he started off so well in the spring, you know, hitting seven home runs in a spring training that was shortened by a very significant amount because of the uh, lockout. And then Higgy comes into this year and essentially is getting outplayed by the Rangers' backup catcher from the last few years. And that's nothing against what Trevino's done because he's been fantastic. But Higgy's been so bad offensively. He's been disastrous. He's been so bad. And it's not even like he's had some bad luck. He just goes up there. He's had terrible at-bats. And he's played good defense, but again, he's being outplayed defensively by Trevino to the point where there's no reason to play Higgy instead of Trevino other than to rest Trevino. So I'm just annoyed with Higashioka because the expectations everyone had for him were so much higher. And the reason I went with him because over Gallo was just because I don't think anyone had expectations that Gallo would be, you know, a world ender this year. You know, we saw him be pretty bad last year when he got traded over and everyone was just kind of hopeful he would turn it around this year. And when he well, didn't, let's just, let's just call spades spades, right? There is a faction of the fan base who is, was very sure that Joey Gallo would turn around. Like I, yeah. I do have, I do have tweets saved in my bookmarks that I can use if need be. Of course People saying like, like you're all going to be like wearing egg all over your face when you love this guy after he's hitting 40 home runs uh, next season. Right. Uh, stuff where, where someone like replied to me in thread, they're like, yeah. So remember this tweet, he's going to hit 230 with 42 home runs and 120 RBIs this year. Meanwhile, he has uh, six home runs and nine RBIs right now. Uh, so mm. like, and I'll say just generally, um, because I think Alex and I maybe that our players both are similar in this way. Like Joey Gallo is a good defensive outfielder. That's wonderful. But like he would have to be like the best defensive outfielder in baseball to have it be like even remotely close to balancing out how bad he's been offensively. So like, yeah, Andrew Hart might not be great defensively as an outfielder, but like any what he'll give you offensively kind of balances it out and that like he can bat better than two fifty and hit a couple home runs and hit some doubles and whatever else, get some singles, like and Higashioka's offense has been so disastrously bad that like no what he could be like incredibly good on defense and it still wouldn't balance out how awful he is on offense. Yeah, and the thing about Andujar is that his his defense—I don't know if you mentioned this—what has been pretty serviceable this year, right? So it's—I know there was the big concern that he was like just a total loss at third base, but he's making it work in left field, and I think that's fine. Um, I'll, I'll go with mine real quick. I don't need to beleaguer the point. It's going to be a lot of the same talking points that that you guys had, um, specifically the same reason that Andujar is now requesting a trade because there's not a, a roster spot for him, and one of the roster spots long-term is being occupied by the guy I picked, Aaron Hicks. You you look at Hicks's season, and it's very weird. The on-base percentage isn't really all that terrible, 337. He has 23 walks, but you look, Josh Donaldson missed a bunch of time, has 22 walks. Joey Gallo has 19 walks. Stanton, 
uh, has 14 doesn't walk a ton, uh, but then Rizzo has 23 and Judge has 24. So it's not like Hicks is getting on base way more than those other guys via the walk, right? Hicks has one double all season. He has one home run all season. He's one of only, uh, I guess, three regular hitters that are still in single digits in terms of runs driven in, Gallo being one, Higashioka being the other. So, like, it's really not been a good season. And, and like, with with Hicks, he's had a a weird stretch where, like, he'll get hits, he'll draw some walks, but every single time he comes up with a man on base, you know he's going to weakly pop up or strike out, swing for that six-run home run with one guy on base, right? Like, it's, it's at a point where, like, you know definitively, 100%, it's in his own head. The problem is not in his mechanics. It's between his ears. And I don't know what you can do to really fix that other than, like, send him to a sports psychologist, right? Because, like, physically, does he still have some of the the talent? I don't know. Maybe he's had a bunch of injuries. Maybe that kind of zapped his power and his and his stroke. I don't I don't know for sure. But, like, a lot of it, it is seems very pretty obvious that mental. he got his throwing arm. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's for sure. Um, just looking at the last two weeks – He's contributed a single RBI, struck out 13 times against just four walks, has an on-base percentage of barely over 300, and his slugging percentage is 213. Like, he's doing nothing to help the team win right now. Now, he plays a decent center field. Uh, you know, he had his hiccups in left field, specifically that, that Vladimir Guerrero play earlier in the year. We kind of dogged it, and Vlad scored all the way from first on a double. He looked better. I think he, there was a similar play uh in in sunday's game where he had to get a ball in the corner and and held the runner at third detroit probably ended up scoring both those runs anyway but for the moment hicks made a a decent play but i really just i i don't see a future where where this guy turns his game around and the problem is he's still under contract three more years after this year and i just don't know if the yankees have the spine to just eat the money it's only like at this point what, $36 million? Well, that that's the AAV. I think his contract may be a little backloaded, so it may be more in cash. But like they they, they won't eat the contract, right? But they they, they kind of should. <laughs> yeah. I, I, so they I, should I, call I, it the Pirates. Isn't this where the Yankees it. and the Pirates always make some sort of deal? Like <laughs> The yeah, Pirates always take a bunch of our, our mid-tier prospects who <laughs> yeah, aren't good enough to make the bigs in our system. Why but is a they, rebuilding Pirates team going to want a overly used Aaron Hicks? Yeah, I don't know. What yeah, goes on in the Pirates front office is no business of mine. That's fair. Andrew, to go along with what you were saying about Hicks, though, about how he's done nothing, he'll go out there, you know, just with runners on base and do absolutely nothing. One of my favorite statistics about Hicks is that in his career with the bases loaded, he's batting like 130 or something preposterously bad like that. Like, this is not a, you know, just this year, last year. And this is where I laugh when people say that that, that runners on base, when people say that clutch doesn't exist, that it's all luck. Like that's bullshit. Like you you can definitively say that like no one person is unworldly clutch, but I can promise you that you look at a guy like Aaron X and I can tell you what clutch isn't. And it's, yeah. Right. Like, so for someone to be that bad in those same spots, there is a level of, it, 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 there, there is a, a, a mental aspect and a psychological aspect that's outside of just luck that other players don't look as bad as he does in those mm-hmm. same spots. Yeah, exactly. It's like you can, you can say clutch doesn't exist, but I can tell you right now that unclutch exists because it's all mentality. You go up there and you get thoughts in your head like, all right, I'm going to, you know, just aiming for the fences here right now, and you're not going to do anything. But if you go up there with an approach with runners on base – and you come through, then you 
you know, it's a it's all about approach. With one Hicks. of the best examples of, of you want to talk about approach. Look at the game that Jameson Tyone took a perfect game into the eighth inning this past week. He gave up a run in the in the in the top of the eighth inning. The Yankees went down in that game, a one nothing. Bottom of the eighth inning, Rizzo comes up. I think it was a pinch hit situation, right? Yeah, was, he was got down two strikes, choked up about four inches on the bat, and slapped a single up the middle. Like, yeah, that's what it takes. Like Rizzo's a guy who has the second most home runs on our team, and you could be thinking, put one in the gap, put one in the seats. And you know what he did? He shortened the swing. And he he slapped a single right up the middle, and drove in two well, and, runs. It ended up being the the decider in the game. And so, like, Rizzo too is one that he's been struggling a lot lately too. And he you come up with the bases loaded in a one nothing game, like come on, any anyone's gonna go up there and be like, oh man, how cool would it be to just hit one twenty rows deep? into the right field bleachers right now. But Rizzo, I think he had two strikes on him and that bat choked up, just slapped it right back up the middle. That is an approach right there. That's going up there, making adjustments in situation. And that's something that Hicks hasn't done. And it's something that Gallo hasn't done. And I don't even know if there's hope for Higashioka at this point. But one thing, it's one thing that we definitely have noticed with Gallo and Hicks is that they're struggling at, the play they're serviceable uh defensively but offensively neither of them are doing anything and they're not making any adjustments to change that and the reckoning is coming it is coming because the yankees you know for sure if they have the the ability to improve the the roster at the trade deadline may seek to get another outfielder tim lacastro is going to be waiting in triple a ready to come up at the next opportunity, if they don't trade Andujar, maybe they want to give him another shot. Like at some point, something's going to give, right? Like these guys are going to have to start playing better. They're going to be demoted to full-time bench players, or they're going to get cut. I don't know if who, who would willingly take either Gallo or Hicks, but I mean, one of these like smoke and mirror sorcery teams, like the Rays would probably take him. Um, and I, I can see a team taking Gallo over Hicks too, just because like, Gallo has power. You know? I feel like the ship has very comfortably sailed on Gallo re-signing with the Yankees. I feel like that was like, you know, I feel like that time is way coming down already. So it's like if yeah. he's with his contract running out, you know, who knows? I don't think the Yankees are all that pressed. Yeah, no. well, and I can totally see just like Gallo at this point. You look at him now. He he. It, I, it's weird to say someone needs a change of scenery after you know. Less, less than, than a calendar season. year, <laughs> but I don't think he—he's not—he's not fit for the Yankees, which is odd because he's a lefty with so much power. You'd think Yankee Stadium would be perfect for him. He physically but cannot make contact while. with the baseball. I don't know if that's the case. I don't know if he, for him it's mental. I just think this is the kind of player he is. Um, like you even look at the at bat yesterday. He got he got dragged on Twitter, which like I'm no. I'm not shy of dragging him on Twitter when he when he he does something embarrassing or unclutch, right? But like he had that that at bat against Alex Lang yesterday, where that guy threw one of the most disgusting two seam fastballs I've ever seen in my life, right? And Gallo immediately the all the the pitchforks came out again for him, like oh he clutched he he choked up in a, in a in a clutch situation. It's like nah, that pitch should have hit him in the in the ribs and then it crawled back over the plate. Like for Gallo, I don't know if it's so much. Um, like he's not a fit for New York. I just don't think the type of player he is is the type of player we need on on this roster. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I don't know if it's like a personality fit thing. Yeah, I just, you know, I think Gallo on paper was a really good fit for Yankee Stadium. He's been one that the Yankees have been rumored 
to be, you know, looking to trade for for years and years. You know, ever since he was a prospect back in like 2015, it was like, should the Yankees trade for this guy, Joey Gallo, who's going to hit a bunch of home runs with the Rangers? But Gallo was one of the names that was originally in the Carlos Beltran trade talks, right? Yeah. When we traded him in 2015 or 2016? 2016, yeah. Yeah, it was one of the guys that they, they considered getting at that point, and Texas mm-hmm. didn't want to move him. But Yeah, uh, I just – I don't know. I And it kills me because I like Gallo as a person. I think he's he has a, he's a really good personality, and he, he doesn't really um, – you know, he doesn't cut corners. He doesn't rock the boat. Yeah, he he recognizes that he sucks, too. Like, there's I mean, that yeah, clip no, that's in spring training. True. There's that clip in spring training where, um, you know, he was mic'd up and he just said something about, like, how he's, like, everyone's favorite Yankees fan. And, you know, just that type of mentality, I think, is good for New York because you're not going to let things get to you but at this point it's just like he's not mm-hmm. he's not fit for the Yankees and I don't think there's any other way around it no yeah. I mean look it's great that he's a good guy and all that stuff but like it's not called show friends it's called show business so like <laughs> it's it, he, he's he's not gonna be here for very much longer I think that's pretty plain as day obvious so it's I hate to end the today. show here on such an optimistic note. <laughs> Wait, we have to do the positive. You guys got a couple more minutes. You want to do one more of these? Yeah, we have I to do the positive more. version of this. Yeah, let's so positive. that we can. All right, all right. Real quick, we're we're not gonna do a full failure in their mouths. We're not gonna do a full 10, 15 minute round table on this, but same thing. Type up a name. I need you guys to give me one reliever. Who other other than Clay Holmes? Because Clay Holmes doesn't obviously he's a given. Outside of Clay Holmes, give me one reliever who you think is going to have the biggest impact on the on the next six upcoming games this week. Oh Christ! Give me two seconds. Here. Jesus, Andrew, you're not uh, you're getting creative with these. I like it. Yes. All right, I got mine. See you the minute when you're ready. Yes. Please hold. <laughs> Are you researching stats from the last week to see who <laughs> no, you just, can project that? No, no, just you know, just refreshing my memory on who all's in our bullpen. Andrew, Andrew said, uh, name a reliever, and every single reliever on the Yankees just immediately slipped your mind. Well, all the guys that G loves, right? Like Chapman is hurt. Don't Jack forget, Green hey, is, is Andrew, hurt. don't forget, Zach don't Britton forget is not coming back till Zach August. Britton, yeah. <laughs> Zach Britton, all of his favorite relievers aren't on the table. One who I love to hate, Zach Britton, my. <laughs> Brett Gardner of relief pitchers. So I right, did, did the work for you. All the guys who you you wouldn't answer here are not even eligible. So you have you have a pretty good base to pick. All right, you ready? Yeah. All right. Again, on the count of three, we're gonna we're gonna hit send, and I'm gonna read the names out loud. You ready? One, two, three. Ah, once again, we have three, three answers. separate answers, and I'm actually most curious about. Alex's, but I said Clark Schmidt. I feel like he's been criminally underused so far, and with the shortened bullpen for for the time being, um, he's going to have to play a bigger role. Matt said Mike King. I think I know where he's going with that because he had a bad stretch. He looks like he's coming out of it. Alex, interestingly enough, said Wandy Peralta, which I don't hate, but I'm curious why that he's your guy. So my mentality with Wandy is that I think he's a lot better than people think. Because last year he was actually very good with the Yankees, but Boone has kind of treated him 
almost like a mop-up guy. And it's this year. Last year he was in he was put in a lot of, you know, high leverage situations, but this year there were stretches where he wouldn't pitch for like 12 days or something and then with Chapman going on the IL um, he started getting more work and he was, he struggled at first just because obviously he hadn't gotten any, um, work in. He had, had there, I, I want to say he threw like one inning for like two and a half weeks or something. So, and ever since yeah, he, he kind of shook the rust off. Time, like. Yeah. He's, he's shaken the rust off recently and Boone's been using him a bit more recently. Um, and he's looked a lot better. So I think, He's he's kind of a dark horse to me to just kind of come out there and take a lot more of the high leverage situations that you don't that if you know Holmes has pitched recently if King it, you know the two guys you guys King, uh, King and Schmidt and Holmes are you know not available you put Wandy in and I think it's just I trust him a lot more than I trust someone like Miguel Castro. Than I do, you know, the rookies <laughs> the like experience. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think Wandy is a l- very underrated, and I want to say he's going to be a l- bigger weapon out of the bullpen than people think he will be. Well, look, if you want to double down on former Orioles, um, I guess triple down with Britain coming back. But for the sake of the time being, if you want to double down on highly chaotic but really nasty and high upside really Oriole relievers. Dylan um, Bundage. Well, no, no, I was going to say, oh. <laughs> Cubs are probably going to be sellers. Michael Givens might be available. Oh Can you imagine throwing God. him I into that bullpen, too? I thought you were connecting it to Dylan Bundy starting on Thursday. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> Anyways. That would just be hell, having Castro and Givens go back-to-back. Oh, can you imagine? But no, when they're on, they're on. Because they'd be like, all right, we're not going to hit any... You know, these two pitchers are so nasty. He's going to walk out right. anything, but they don't even know where the ball's going. <laughs> right, exactly. All right, so I will it's say like for walking for all this, I have, I have the baseball savant page up right now. Um, you're you're not wrong, Alex, in that he's way better than people probably give him credit for. And probably part of that is that he hasn't been used enough this year. Yeah. But I'm just, just going to give you some, some percentile ranks in terms of where he stacks up this year. Average exit velocity, 93rd percentile. Soft pitching soft contact. Hard hit percentage, 79th percentile. Again, pitching the soft contact. Expected weighted on base average, 87th percentile. Expected slugging percentage, 91st percentile. Chase rate, 69th percentile. Barrel percentage, 74th percentile. Expected ERA, 87th percentile. So Wandy, the 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 metrics, the underlying stats show that he has still been an elite reliever in his limited usage and should the Yankees need to use him at any point, uh, they should feel confident in going down. Yeah. And that's why I, you know, I just think the, uh, a couple weeks ago when he came in and he, uh, the Rays series, especially he pitched in like two or three of those games and he didn't look great. He gave up a lot of base runners. I don't think he gave up that many runs, but he didn't look like he had great control. And, you know, when I saw that, I just kind of attributed that to him not pitching that much because there was a span of time where the Yankees were getting so much length from their starters that, you know, the only relievers you really saw were King and Holmes. 
and you know maybe Chad Green before he blew out his elbow, um, or blew out his arm, whatever it was that he destroyed. You know Chapman before he went on the IL, and that was kind of it because the Yankees' starting rotation was getting consistent, you know, six, seven, eight inning performances. So obviously they're not going to you know consistently be going eight innings a game. Um, but and once they start to regress, they're going to have to start using relievers more. So I think Wandy's the perfect type of guy to bring in there and start using more consistently. Gee, I'll give you the floor for for my king. And I don't think I need to say much on Schmidt because it's probably going to mirror a lot of what you said. They're very similar guys in terms of their their velocity and the stuff they throw. But I'll, I'll give you the floor. No, I mean I'll I'll, I'll give you the time back. Um, you diagnosed it pretty well. Like Michael King looked like he was about to be that dude, and then you know hit a little bit of a slump, and now I think he's starting to come out of it with his like you know sorcery fucking like you know Corey Kluber you know, whatever you want to call it, slider, curveball thing. Um, so, yeah, I, I'd say he was on track, and, you know, then he hit a little bit of a slide there. He's coming back out of it, and I think um, he'll keep turning into that weapon, you know, that Aaron Boone is going to want to go to, probably more often than he should, but I think he's going to keep becoming that dude, and uh, that's the guy. Yeah, with Chad Green down, he's going to have to play a lot of – higher leverage sixth, seventh, and eighth inning roles for the Yankees this year, right? Like who the hell knows what we're going to get with Chapman when he's back. Now he, it was, it was an Achilles injury, which probably means he, he couldn't get a bunch of push off on his pitches, which why his velocity was down. Probably couldn't locate because of that. Now, if he's fully healthy, is he going to be back to where he needs to be? God, I hope so, but I, I wouldn't count on it. Um, so where does he stack up in that bullpen? I think at this point, Holmes has cemented himself as the guy. I, but yeah, King may have to play a, a high leverage spot. Um, I think those two guys you named, King and Peralta, are going to have to really elevate their game until Britain comes back. And even then, at that point, you're not going to immediately throw him into the, the setup man role, right? Unless he proves he's he's fully back already. But I, coming off Tommy John surgery, I wouldn't count on that either. Um, I think yeah. Chapman will be considerably better. And also knowing full well that he's, you know, getting up there for like a relief pitcher and he's probably at the point where he's going to be a little and noticeably a little less good every year, but still be considerably better than he was since he was hurt. Yeah. So, so Mike King has, has a lot of good advanced metrics too, but the one thing that's concerning for me, his heart rate percentage is in the 28th percentile. So he does get tagged like Batters don't always make contact, but when they do, they're smashing the ball. Like I was at that game uh, the, where Trevino had the walk-off, and he just got absolutely bludgeoned in that one inning, culminating in the, the Rudin Odor go-ahead three-on home run. Like When he gets hit, they're on him. So um, that's yeah. going to be the risk. But look, if Matt, Matt Blake figured out what was struggling with him and he can get back to the guy he was in, in April and early May, then like I think we're fine on that end. Strong agree. All right, guys. Well, look, we've been uh, we've been at this a little over an hour already. Um, obviously, we had a lot to cover. It's been two, three weeks since our last podcast, uh, and the Yankees are still playing at the, the top of their game. But is there anything else that we haven't covered that that we need to to get out before we close up tonight? Um, I just want to give a shout out to Matt Carpenter for being the literal definition of lightning in a bottle. Um, 
I don't expect him to be hitting four home runs a week for the rest of the season, but watching him the last, you know, two weeks or so has been very fun. Strong agree. I love I love him. <laughs> yeah. Um Yeah. I second that and also shout outs to Labor Torres for having legitimate legitimately good bounce back season. That's pretty cool for him. And also to Jose Trevino for being a just absolutely incredible pitch framer. And and an above average offensive catcher too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I guess in that so vein of things, expect that from him. In, in that vein of conversation, shout out to Brian Cashman for most of the moves he's made this offseason turning out pretty freaking well. Yeah, look, look, we we were as strong critics as anyone. Um, I didn't think they had enough in the tank with the with the bullpen, uh, mainly because I didn't expect King to be eating big innings. Um, they hadn't gotten Castro at that point, uh, although he's certainly come back down to earth. Um, I, I thought Clay Holmes was pretty good. I didn't think he was going to be unworldly good. Um, so yeah, and then look, obviously we 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 don't have to talk about the the big name guys we didn't get, but the moves Cashman has made is have, have all played a pivotal role. Even a guy like Josh Donaldson, who we, we briefly mentioned because he hit the walk off in the most recent game, um, the, the the long sack fly to to drive and judge. But like he's been fantastic. Now he did miss what two weeks of games with COVID, and then I think it was a shoulder injury, but he seems to be fine and now. Also did he uh, did he serve that or is it still no, under appeal? He, he appealed it. All right, so but that hasn't been heard yet, right? So technically, one game, not significant, but still. Yeah, which I thought was funny because there was a quote about him that he said like he was hurt that the team didn't really come to his defense, which they really didn't. It seemed like comments by by Judge and by Boone. Oh, Aaron Boone straight up said he shouldn't have said what he said. Yeah, yeah. Which I, I was worried that like the the clubhouse culture was gonna kind of go in the shitter because he was gonna feel. Like his feathers were ruffled, his teammates didn't have his back. But like, like listening to him in the interview yesterday after he had the game-winning hit, I think everything's fine. So it might just be a non-issue. Either way, all that to say. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, look, this has been yeah. a, an awesome show. I, I really actually enjoyed just shooting the shit with you guys for an hour plus tonight. Uh, hopefully, we'll be back with you guys maybe so next week. <laughs> I, I know next week is um, is. A mildly we'll important we're, we're day at. for the life of one of our yes, podcasts. Yes. But, but look, we'll, we'll see where we're at, where we're at with time. Uh, and then, um, yeah, if anything, anything big happens that necessitates a, an emergency podcast, like maybe a surprise Aaron Judge signing, a trade, a big whatever else, we'll, we'll fire up an emergency pod at that point. Sounds like a plan. All right. Thanks for sticking by with us, guys, tonight. Uh, again, the 118th episode of the Bronx Bomber Battle Podcast brought to you, as always, tonight by Six Pack Coverage. And we'll catch you next time.